0: Coming to you, live from Canada, here comes your game-changing, life-transforming, turning point moment. Yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church, powered by hope, not hype, online at engagechurch.ca. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of d- deep darkness, a light will shine. The light in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Except for the last part, because it's not on the screen. But Isaiah 9, verse 7, the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen uh four years ago uh in in july my son was born and uh it was an incredible experience now i don't do so well uh with the whole blood and guts thing and and if you ask me uh birth is a battlefield like it's it's like it's basically combat hospital in there and uh so I, I did my best to stay out of the splash zone, as it were. I just stayed, you know, uh, up up with Des. I didn't I didn't want to, you know, really get in. Even when they were like really, um, like you know, cut the cord time. Like I'm not really. I did it because everyone was pressuring me immensely to get it done. But, like just take your favorite like and start cutting it through with a pair of dull scissors, and you'll figure it out. Like it's just. Like, it's not the greatest experience, but I guess we all got to do it. And everyone's like, oh, did you cut the cord? I'm like, no, it's nasty. But anyways, I digress. It's a beautiful miracle. But whenever it was, whenever it was born, he had the, cord, the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. And so as Des is delivering, you know, you're listening to the heartbeat, and all of a sudden the heartbeat starts dropping and dropping and dropping. And there's, like, three people in the room, and, and I literally, like, look over and I look back and all of a sudden there's 30 people in the room like there's like NICU there's like all these people they're bringing in all this equipment and and I'm kind of like Okay. They say, sir, why don't you come sit down over here? Anytime they ask you to come sit down in the corner, it's never really a good situation. Give me some room to work in here. You know, it's like, there's like, get over in the corner, sit down. So I'm just like, you know, speaking in tongues in the corner, praying because you're thinking like we've come like nine months, we've come this far. It cannot end here. You know, we've come this far. It cannot end here. And so they get those forceps out, which if you don't know what forceps is, think about those giant Ikea shoehorns. But they're like, Silver's like, shushing. They whip these things out, and they they pull Everett out, and they, you know, do whatever they did, clean him up. And they take him over, and he's fine. They weigh him. They're they're now joking. The NICU people are joking about how much he's going to weigh. They're taking bets on how much Everett's going to weigh. And I walk over to Everett. And, well, he doesn't know he's Everett yet. I walk over to Everett, and he's kind of laying there and crying. And I look at him single tear. And then. <laughs> like, ugly, nasty, disgusting cry. The, the kind of crying that cannot actually be humanly stopped by any individual, it's like And you, like, deep, take the deep breaths inside, but you cannot stop it. Like, you're trying to that's why you do the That's why you do that part, because you're trying to put the brakes on. It's kind of like an engine retardant on a truck. It's like You know? And so I'm literally just, I am weeping, and the doctors are like, okay, cool. <laughs> Give him some space to work in here, all right? It's like, give the man some room. He needs a moment. But I, I, I honestly believe that in, in that moment, one of the reasons, uh, and I'm not a crier. One of the reasons that we cry in those moments is because our capacity to love is expanded. And on that day, the Grinch's heart grew three SARSs larger. <laughs> I believe our capacity of love is expanded. 1 John 4, verse 9 says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. First thing today, if you're taking notes, it's already in your notes if you're using version. First thing for today, we know what love is because of what Jesus has done for us. We know what love is because of what Jesus has done for us. You know, as we go through different stages of our lives, uh, we, we, learn, uh, we learn different things. We pick up different stuff. And, and I believe, uh, and all the single people are going to roll their eyes in a moment, but I believe that, that marriage is one of those things that kind of shows us who we really are. When you get married and, and you start this kind of this partnership, it, it's in those moments that you realize that, that it's no longer business as usual. <laughs> you know, for one, there's somebody else sleeping in your bed. And if you're a sprawler, that's a problem. Um, if you're like me and just stay in one small corner and never move, uh, then your marriage works out great because your partner can take up all the room in the world. Your wife uh, can take up all the room in the world, and it's totally fine. But, but you learn that maybe your schedule isn't your own. You learn that maybe it's a good idea to call before you leave the office just to say, I'm coming home, or if you're running late, to just let her know that you're running late, mainly because you don't want to feel that wrath when you get home. <laughs> okay, every husband's looking like... Like yeah, you're on your own, except you're all also secretly nodding in agreement because you've all been there. But you learn because you learn because no matter what the situation is, you learn that you're actually an innately selfish and human being. because you always want to do it your way, right? Like you want to do things your way. You have your priorities, and she has her priorities. Like my priorities always involve uh, larger televisions and maybe projection systems. I also like larger sound systems, like funny gadgets. Like I just ordered for Des for Christmas, uh, and I already installed it for her, and she's loving it. Um, not really light bulbs that are Bluetooth that have speakers built in so that there's like wireless sound everywhere. And like, I got men across the room nodding me like, yeah, that's pretty sweet. Like all over the house. He's like, I'm like, Des, I got you an early Christmas present. She's not really buying into it. Our priorities are different. And you kind of learn how selfish you are as a human, or maybe, maybe it's just me because you have to give and you have to take and there's compromise and you got to figure things out and you got to work together. The second, the second great Moment in life is when the kids enter the scene because it's in that moment where you truly understand selfishness and selflessness. Those babies are selfish. All they want to do is cry and eat. All they want to do is like sleep all the time. And they don't want, yeah, they poop a lot and they don't ever want to let anyone else sleep. It's also in those moments that you discover how amazing your parents were because you're confronted with the reality of what it takes to now raise your own little one. And it's not until 20 or 30 years later after your parents did all that amazing stuff that you understand why, the way, why they are the way they are and why they care so much about you and how much they gave up to bring you to this point. It's only once you become a parent that you can understand the sacrifice of your parent, in many ways, it's sacrificial love. I think moms are the, some of the most sacrificial people on the planet, and all the moms said, "Amen." Um, mainly because they just keep giving. It's just they just keep giving, and it's in those moments that we start to even get a little taste of the kind of love that God our Father has for us. When we think about moms and their sacrificial giving, we think about dads, and we think about kids, and we think about all those things, we think about marriage, we realize how selfish we are as humans that we can then understand what kind of capacity that it requires to love. Galatians 4 says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. When the fullness of time had come at just the right time. Romans 5 verse 6 says, when we were utterly helpless. When we were utterly helpless. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. We know what love is because of what Jesus has done for us. At just the right time, at just the right moment, God sent his one and only son that we might have eternal life. You said, we know that. This is like, this is Christmas time. How come this is not more Eastery? Because the whole point of Christmas is that Jesus c- came so that he could do what he was gonna do on the cross. And we have to understand that the whole reason he came and he came as a baby, there's layers on layers on layers of why he came in the way that he did. But he came to express to us the fullness of his love for us. John 15, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one, friend. there's no greater gesture that any human being can make for another than going to help them move (laughs) because you lay down your life and that's why i don't own a truck (laughs) because people are like hey uh, you got a truck you want to you want to come on by and just a couple boxes and somehow pizza is the ultimate form of payment but i can buy my own pizza like i don't I don't, I don't need your pizza. <laughs> but there's something sacrificial about going to help somebody to move. Because you got to put your life on hold. Uh, so we've got a friend, Matt and I have a friend, uh, Derek. And he he's, doesn't come here, so I can talk about him freely. Um, I kind of like his policy is interesting. He refuses to help anybody move. But in exchange, he will never ask you to help him move. So everything comes out of a out of wash. See, when, when you go to help somebody move, you're going to go express their love because really you're not actually getting anything out of anything at all. Pizza is not payment. All you're doing is helping them move things, helping them get their life settled, helping them get established. What you're doing is launching them into a new phase of life, and you're doing it by sacrificially giving of your time, of your energy, and your resource, your muscles, your your ever-abounding muscles. You're just investing into their future. Why? Because you're a good person or because you owe them. (laughs) But usually you only help friends move. You don't help enemies move unless you're planning on breaking things. And that's not, like, a good idea. <laughs> I'm just going to throw your box down the stairs and see what happens. Uh Because I don't do any, I mean, not that I have physical enemies, like, it's really interesting when, like, you look, like these, listen to these songs on the radio, it's like, I got enemies, got a lot of enemies. Like, Drake, he's got all these enemies. I don't have enemies in my life. Like, I don't know if you have enemies. If you do, let's deal with that later today. Um, it's not a good thing to have enemies in your life, to have people who are like, you're, you're like your arch nemesis in all areas of your life. Now, there may be a little office conflict in your life, but I don't think that we would call these people your, your enemies. Like Batman and the Joker, those guys are enemies, okay? You and your colleague who are fighting over the Keurig Cups are not enemies. <laughs> That's not the end of the world. But I wouldn't, if there's even something that I don't really like, I don't, I don't do a lot for that person. I probably should because Jesus died and I should be a better person but I don't do a lot for people that I don't like. But that's the difference between Jesus and me. Because in Romans 5 verse 8, we understand that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So we back up to John 15. It says there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Okay, there's no greater love. That's that's a that's a whole lot of love to lay down your life for, for someone's friends. To just like kind of die for your friend. I'm not taking a bullet for any of you. But what's even more incredible is that somebody at just the right time and just the right place would come to earth because we were utterly helpless and not because we're friends that needed saving, but because we were still enemies, we were still sinners, we were still separated from Jesus, we were apart from him. He came when we wanted nothing to do with him. He came and died for the worst part of us, not just the best part of us. He came even when we couldn't wrap our minds around even having a relationship with a loving God or a loving father, and we might even be struggling to deal with that right. Now, the idea that Jesus loves you so much that no matter what you could even do in this lifetime, he still loves you with an everlasting love. And that love came down on Christmas Day. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were still separated. Why? Because love looks past. Love looks past. Number two, we remind ourselves of what love is. First John 4. If you're at First John 4, say, I'm there. If you're just reading on the screen, say, I'm reading it on the screen. All right. And so we know and rely on the love. God has for us. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. It's often easy for us to forget. Like when we look at Jesus, we look at the idea of of God the Father and Jesus coming and dying on the cross. We know that stuff. If you've been in church for any length of time, you know about it. If you've been in Canada for any length of time, you get two critical holidays, Christmas and Easter. So even if you don't know what they're for, you know that there's maybe more than meets the eye. There's something behind the veil here. Uh, We don't always recognize that the number one motivation for Jesus and for God to do anything that he does for any of us at any time is love. It's, it's, it's genuine, affectionate, compassionate, overwhelming, merciful, gracious love. Sometimes we think of Jesus as the cosmic co- karma machine. If I just live right, if I'm just a nice person, if I just do nice things, then I'm going to cash in on that Jesus jackpot and I'm going to pull the wheel and the universe is going to give me back something nice because I did something nice for somebody else. Or we say, Jesus, if I'm a good person, if I'm a good boy or if I'm a good girl, would you please give me the one thing that I really, really want? Did you know that Jesus Christ is not Santa Claus? And yet we treat him in many ways As somebody that we make a list, we check it twice and we submit it to receive some gifts. But we have to remind ourselves that the reason Jesus did all of this is because he loves us with a fiercely furious love that doesn't stop chasing us down. Not just so he can give you the things that you want when you want it, but so that he can have an eternal and everlasting relationship with you. Just so that he's not that thing that you, you think of, and that you come to church and you make a religious routine out of, but he's a person and he wants to speak with you and meet you and talk to you. He wants to be intimately involved in every area of your life. He doesn't just want to be the person that you come to and ask for nice things. He doesn't want to be your sugar daddy. And so he came at Christmas, because at Christmas, that moment changed everything, because love entered the world. He humbled himself. He made himself as small and as little and baby-like as possible. Left everything behind so he could just show you the lengths that he's willing to go, where God would leave everything to come down to do one thing for you. His purpose on life was to come. And do one thing on that cross for you. We go, that was 2,000 years ago. That wasn't for me. No, no, no. That was for you. This one gesture. This one romantic gesture. Anyone else like romantic gestures? All the women are like, yes. All the men are like, ugh. Struggle's real. <laughs> romantic gestures. When I went to uh, propose to Desiree, I had an, like, an incredible master plan laid out. We had this this little ravine near where she lived, and the plan was to walk down there, go to the ravine. There's going to be a table set up, musician, my friend Randy's like amazing at executing these things, the hidden photographer, the whole deal, candlelight, little desserts, because I mean, cheesecake makes everything better. <laughs> uh, and it was supposed to be this incredibly epic, amazing night, uh, and I had ordered the ring before I went away, I came back from my trip, and. I picked up the ring from, and it was sitting in my coat at the office. And my de- I'm sitting in the desk and I'm looking at my coat, and I instantly turned into Gollum. I'm like, my precious. I would stand up, go. I literally every 15 to 20 minutes, I would stand up from my desk, walk over, open up the ring box, look at it, precious, put it back inside, go back. my desk, sit down, work for a little longer until, oh, I probably need a stretch. It's going to come over here. Oh, look, there just happens to be a ring right here. Put it back down, go back to my desk, sit down, work for another seven minutes, stand back up, go back. Oh, and this proceeded to happen for eight hours. And so I decided in that moment, even though the plan was to execute this incredibly romantic gesture the next day that I could not wait any longer. And so, uh, We jumped the gun by a whole day on getting the whole engagement. We tried to walk down into the same ravine, except we waited too long because, oh, for a a number of reasons. Number one, I had to talk to her mom first, which I probably should have done earlier in hindsight. But she said yes, and so I kept setting Dez up to put more clothes on. We're going for a walk. It's probably cold outside, and she would go upstairs, and I was trying to make a moment to talk. It was the worst. And Dez comes down, and instead of going into, like, you know, like the romantic forest where there's, like, uh, like nice, like sunset pink skies. Instead of that, it was literally like the death forest at night where it's darkness and we've got a flashlight Blair Witch that barely works. And so we're walking through this thing and we're walking through the forest and about to die until we turn around the corner. And luckily for me, Uh, God is good, and the sky was open, and the bridge was there, and the stars were great, and I dropped down on one knee. But I jumped the gun on the romantic gesture. Everyone loves a romantic gesture, but trust me, there's no greater romantic gesture than sacrifice. There's no greater romantic gesture. There's no better way to show love than a sacrificial love. And so we remind ourselves of what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. I think this is my favorite. Matt, maybe we can throw that up. First Corinthians thirteen, verse five. This is my very favorite. Love is not irritable. <laughs> If you have a Bible, underline this. Love is not irritable. I'm an irritable individual. I can I get easily irritated. So are you. You're all easily irritated. Uh, I know that because last week church was cold in the, in the 12 o'clock service. We just, you know, we just didn't get quite, quite where we need to go because if, if we throw off the vibes, if we throw anything off, we just throw our whole life off and we're rattled and we're irritated. God is not easily irritable. In fact, he's not irritable. God does not change his mind on a whim about you and about your life and about whether he loves you. No matter how great or terrible your behavior, he's not upset at you. He's not mad. He does not change his opinion. It does not flip. If the vibes are right, Jesus still loves you. He doesn't get the feels. He just feels everything all the time because he's God. But he's not irritable, and he keeps no record of being wronged. Time after time. Does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never lose faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love comes running. Love comes running. James 4, Matt doesn't have this. James 4, verse 8 says, that if we draw near To God, He'll draw near to us. And every time I think, I I, I think about when I read scripture, I try and visualize it. I try to think about what's this like in real life. And I'm like, what does it mean if I draw near to God, He'll draw near to me? Isn't He near me all the time? Yes, He's near me all the time. But here's the thing: I'm trying to move forward in my life at all times. I'm trying to walk ahead. I'm, I'm, you know. I'm, I'm a little bit of a driven person, so I like to just get things done. So I'm just going to keep moving forward, keep moving forward. But sometimes in my efforts to move forward, I just move past or keep moving past God or Jesus. Why? Because it's a natural human tendency to just try and do it on our own. We get a word. We get a vision. We get a direction. We just put on the backpack, which is usually loaded with our baggage, and we just try and move forward. We keep moving forward. And God's like, okay, that's cool you okay i'm just going to keep walking behind you just cuz you know i made that promise that i'm never going to leave you or never going to forsake you so we keep moving forward trying to make it through life trying to to get somewhere to do something to be somebody and we keep moving forward and jesus keeps going hey, hey i'm just right here and we're supposed to go this way in case you were wondering this way is the right way but it's cool you do your thing over there because i'm not going to give up on you i'm not irritated And finally, we come to the end of ourselves, and we go, hey, the Bible also says if I draw near to God, he'll draw near to me. Maybe I should draw near to God, and we turn around to face him, and as fast as we make the decision, we realize that he was always there with us the entire time. We turn away from our own plan, turn away from ourselves, our own great ideas, We turn towards him, we draw near to him, and he draws near to us, not because he's in some far-off place, but because I just kept walking. And he was right there with me the whole time. Love comes running. If you hear, sorry, uh, singles (laughs) or people with no kids yet, but as parents... Somehow, when your children are babies, you know the exact sound of their cry amidst every other child crying. There could be a chorus of babies crying, and I can isolate the exact frequency with which my son is crying. Because you just got this this sense, this vibe. You just kind of know. You've got this idea that, hey that's my son. That's my son. And the moment that I hear that sound, the moment that I hear that frequency, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm dropping it and I'm running because you're not going to touch my son. Nothing's going to happen to him for as long as I can be around. I'm going to do everything that I possibly can. Now, things happen, but the moment that I hear that, I'm going to come running. Why? Because my whole life is, is, is for him and for his protection and that he could live and that he could love and he could survive and he can grow up to be an incredible man. So the moment that I hear that sound, I'm running. Love comes running. And number three, we love because he loved us. We love because he love us. This is First John 4. We love because he first loved. Uh, sometimes we think that we made the first move. <laughs> oh, no, I decided to come to church and accept him into my life. That's when God started loving me. No, he's loved you all along. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. We also ought to love one another. Why? Love works. Love works. Here's what I mean by that. It's not okay for me to receive all the love that Jesus has for me and just hoard it like a mouse in winter. (laughs) Jesus said, because you've loved, because you understand my love. You now have to love. You can't do nothing about this kind of love. We are motivated. We are pushed. We are encouraged. We are directed. The Lord says, listen, you know what love is because of me. And because you know what love is, it's time for you to love. Love works. We have to demonstrate our love. Because we know what love is, we must love one another. Now, does that just mean we gotta love the people that we like? Yes, we gotta love the people that we like. But the kind of love that Jesus displayed for us is the kind that while we were still enemies, while we were still sinners, while we were still separated from Jesus, he did everything that he did, not because we even liked him or even knew that he existed, but because he so loved us. And so if that's what he did for me, then he's calling me Brett. He's calling you Clay and you Jericho and you Eldon. He says, hey, I've loved you with this everlasting love. It's time for you to let it flow. Let whatever flows to me flow through me. Whatever flows to me, flow through me. The way that we were designed as human beings, like a pipeline. As long as it's flowing, it comes in, it goes out. It comes in, it goes out. It comes in. It goes out. It comes in it goes out it comes in and it goes out everything works okay the moment we turn on the shut off valve is the moment we start running into problems things start bursting We feel like we're stale and we're stuck. Well, we are because we're living on the same thing, because the fresh stuff can't get to us, because we're just hoarding all of it that it's not coming through. What was meant for somebody else to go through you, you're holding on to so desperately because you just want that healing. You just want that breakthrough. You just want to feel something. You just want to be loved. And you think if you just hold on to it, that everything's going to be all right. But if you hold on to it, if you hold on to it, self-imposing a restriction on the love that's coming to you. Because the freshest stuff, the stuff that you need right now can't get to you. Why? Because I'm holding on to that love from two years ago when I felt Jesus the most. I'm holding on to that thing 14 years ago. I'm holding on to that thing two weeks ago. I'm holding on to that that one time I read my Bible during the week and God sends something and I'm holding on to it. What year was that? 1976. But I'm holding on to it because God is good, amen. No. He is good, but you're not good at this. You got to keep coming back. You got to keep going to the well. It's got to be fresh. It's got to be every day. Why? Because what comes to you is intended to flow through you. If you need more, this math might not make sense. But can I tell you that if you are in need of more love today, there's only one way to get more. And that's to open the valve. And pour out as much love as is humanly possible. Because God promised that He'd never leave you or He forsake you. He's, he's always gonna fill you up till you overflow. My cup runneth over. Because His mercy and His goodness will follow me all the days of my life. One translation says, His unfailing love will follow me all the days of my life. The next verse is, My cup runneth over. Engage City Church. If you like what you heard, check out engagechurch.ca.